the most powerful tool is the psychological. So things like seer training, uh, things like that, as brutal as, as it is, and as much as you don't appreciate it while you're in it, when you realize that the, the mind is the most powerful tool that you have, and it can make heaven out of hell or hell out of heaven. Hi, this is Mick Tully, and you're listening to Mixed Martial Arts. So please, tell, tell me, who am I speaking to today? Uh, Tony Chickasee, also yeah. known as Anthony. Anthony. If I'm in trouble. Do you want to go Anthony or do you want to go Tony? Let's go Tony. I'd we're friend, go we're Tony. friends here. We are friends, we are. I'm going to just set the scene a little bit, if you don't mind. How we first met, it was a couple of years ago, at the Carly Group, and you walked in. We hit some tie pads, it was, and... I just thought, what a really nice guy you were. You've been really nice to me and everything, Tony. And then I find out how you are, in my eyes, a legit hero. And I know oh, you'll thanks. turn around and say you're doing a job and stuff, but you are, you know. And uh, right. so you were in the military, but how did you get into martial arts first? So my martial arts journey started in the early 1980s. Right. And uh, <clears throat> I went down the path that was available in small town Minnesota and Wisconsin and, and uh, so it was Taekwondo and, and some Kung Fu yes and uh, that was something that I, at the second that I was old enough to go to the gym I basically badgered my mom until she took me down to train right so I was learning I was doing spin kicks uh, you know bef- <laughs> before junior high school so oh, I'm just imagining you now doing a spin kick can you still do it I still can yeah awesome you're gonna have to show me later you're gonna have to show me later and then, what grade did you get to in Taekwondo? Uh, first and black belt. Right. Okay. And then, what did you did you carry on with the training? Or I did. So, uh, in between military deployments, um, undergrad and two master's degrees, uh, I've been able to train under some of the top instructors. Um, so I came to the Kali family um, after my last military deployment. Uh, actually, um, Caitlin Young, uh, Caitlin. MMA, yeah, yeah. MMA fighter. She and I were on a fight team together, a striking team. Right. And I trained with her since she was probably 11 or 12 years old. So she had gone over from, our our team had kind of fallen apart while I was deployed, came back and she was training at the academy. And so I went over there uh, and and spent about two months doing nogi because my jujitsu, and I'm telling you my weakness right now, it's horrible. Yeah. Um, And uh, from there then went on another deployment to grad school and when I came back um, I was working with a, a guy that had also been on the fight team as well who was training here um, on a, and one of our instructors there was Professor Mike Steenson I don't know if you've met Mike Yes. and um, he said hey Mike said you should come down and train with this Rick Fay guy because he's, he's legitimate and, yeah. uh, and Mike is the kind of person where if you know him and he says something you take it as, as you know straight from yes. uh, God's well, lips yes so so I came down, trained my first class under Ty Campos. And, oh, uh, wow. And I, I loved it. <laughs> Ty and, is something else, right? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Ty Campos is a... Yes. The, the, he's the real McCoy, isn't he? He is, he is. And so I've been here now for about six years. I left briefly to train under Sergio Cunha from Shooterbox. Right. Um, before I retired from kind of the, the, the striking game. And, and uh, How many fights so. did you have? I think my... When I, by the time I retired, I was 12 and 7, I think. So, 1996 was my best year, um, and I, I won the gold medal at the Olympic Festival in, in uh, 
was named as Minnesota State Amateur Athlete of the Year. So wow, I didn't. I, you see, I didn't know this. And as you you were saying about two masters, two masters degrees. Yep. As you were saying that, I remember because on your Facebook profile picture, there's a great picture of you in the gown and the right. yeah, which yeah. I I, I love. Where, I don't know where they got the gown from. It, it was a it, it was a big one. What what did you do your degrees in? So my first master, my I have a bachelor in liberal arts from the University of Wisconsin. And then my first master's was at the civilian branch of the Command and Staff War College. So it's a it's a master's degree in national security strategy. Wow. And then uh, later on, I went and got an MBA with a finance concentration. Wow. What was the reasoning behind, especially the first one? Was it because of being in the military? It was an opportunity I couldn't say no to. I, I got to understudy um, some of the top generals, uh, including the commanding general of special forces for NATO for a year. And, uh, you know, I spent some time in D.C. and and um, and you know, I always joke and say the first one was for my mom. The second one was for me. Right. Really? But, uh, you no, know, it was an opportunity. I couldn't say no. And, and, uh, and when, so what, that, that's going to lead me on to when did you. Uh, first of all, what was the reasoning behind, you know, enlisting? And then mm -hmm. secondly, you know, if you can tell me just a little bit about. So I was raised in a military kind of family. Um, right. My every male member of my family that's been able to serve, going back to World War One when we immigrated here, has served in the American military. So I knew from birth that being a warrior was was going to be a part of who I was. And um, when I was in seventh grade, I found this book called Inside the Green Berets. Right. And uh, it was I ended up writing a book report. And even at that age, I was wise enough to know that some of the stuff in that book you could not put in the book report. Um, it, it's a you know military-type-minded book. But yeah. I said to myself at that time, I will be in this unit. I will serve in this unit. And so when I was 17, I went down and enlisted. And uh, right about at that time, Desert Shield, Desert Storm was kicking off um, as I got into my pipeline. And uh, they ended up... Um, cutting my pipeline short and sending me over there. So by the time I was 18 years old, I was serving in combat with the 5th Special Forces Group. Jesus. And that's with the Green Berets? The Green Berets, yeah. Wow. And how many, how many tours? Three. Um, with them? Yes. Yeah. So basically three deployments that they, they consider live combat tours with them. And then um, after 9-11, I went to Officer Candidate School and got commissioned uh, and served another tour um, with the National Guard unit from Minnesota. Wow. It, I can blame a lot of this on just journalistic interest, where it's not. I'm just a really nosy, nosy person. And you especially, I've always thought that you've had a very interesting story because Rick has told me some. And then obviously it's like, well, what do I do? How much beer do I throw into this guy to be able to get him to tell me? <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. So when, when you were over there... Yeah, you know, what what was first of all, what was the training like before you got out there? So the my pipeline, um, I was supposed to go through several different schools and then go to qualification and and, and uh, all that stuff. And and my training basically was six months. Um, I got qualified into a job, which I never did again for the rest of my military career, and and went through airborne school, and then reported to. Uh, fifth group at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, went straight over. And when I got there, um, I was assigned to a, a special operations communications team, which is what I should have been doing. Um, but 
my battalion uh, counterintelligence team was short-staffed and they needed people. But in order to do that job, you had to have a very, very high-level security clearance with a full background check and everything else. Yes. And the, the thinking of the command at the time was, because I was so young, I was the person they could get qualified the fastest. Right. And so I was basically, I learned this skill set, this job I was supposed to do, never did it, and, and reported directly to the, the special security operations team. And uh, that's what I did. Yeah. So what was, what, yeah, what was it like? Well, it was a great, the greatest experience of my life. I mean, what, what made it great was the teammates and, uh, you know, knowing that they were there for you and that you were there for them. And, and uh, you know, because I was raised, you know, I, was, I was born in blood. I was raised on it. So when I was in combat, it, it didn't, I, I didn't panic. I didn't freak out. Um, you know, I knew what I had to do and I just did it. And my job was to be quiet and, and learn uh, at that age. And, and I knew that. So um, it was it was really uh, the experience of a lifetime to to get to be there and, and do what I did and see the things that I saw and, and recognize that there's only one rule in, in combat and that's that you cannot lose. You know, now that is profound. It, that there's no there's no gray areas. There's no second prize, is there? It's it's one or the other. So after that, after you you know your deployment, and you came back. Did you carry on in the military, or what, what happened next? Yep, so I've, I've completed my full term, and then um, my oldest brother was coming out of the 1st Marine Division at the same time, and our middle brother was attending university. Right. And so it was an opportunity for all three of us to uh, get together and go to the university together. Cool. And so that's what we ended up doing, and <clears throat> uh, that was um, an interesting... Uh, experience itself. In fact, we just had our 20-year, we had a veterans fraternity. We just had our 20-year reunion this weekend, and I got to see everybody yesterday, and it was great. Oh, wow. Um, so the people that we bonded together with that had served in the war um, in college now are in you know, very high positions uh, throughout the world and doing great things. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to get a bunch of uh, Tier 1 operators into a room um, with beer in, in, in a college environment. Uh, so we had each other for support, yeah. You know, so nobody would freak out on the teachers and professors, but, but um, you know that was great. And and then, you know, from there I was kind of kicking around what I wanted to do. I was looking at several different federal agencies, and then um, kind of nine eleven happened, and yeah. it, it was time to to pick up the rifle again. So, and that's it. That you you enlisted again. Uh, that's when I went to officer school and got commissioned as an officer. Right, and then you go back. Did you, where did, where were you deployed then? So that, then, um, kind of all over, um, I, I worked a lot with something called White Cells, and uh, so that's, that's a different world. Um, right. Uh, and then in, in 2006, I retired. Right, and can you, can you expand on what White Cells would do? Or? Not really. No, <laughs> that was, so as soon as you said so, it, I was thinking yeah. about it. But we're, t- we're talking like the highest of highest levels of operating. Yeah, you're talking about, uh, at, at that level, your data modeling um, right. scenarios. Wow. For someone who you've seen like the absolute other end of the spectrum in what combat is, and then you've seen the other, you know, we train at the Carly Group, which is a world-class facility. Absolutely. But it's still, the Carly Group is a means to an end for normal people to work out. Yeah, if you want to get really, really good, that's the one thing I always found was, you know, people like yourself, and I'm like, 
there is no way that I would meet a, a guy like this in everyday life, yeah. you know, and then become friends with. I couldn't work that out. But what's your views on just how the the political climate right now in America? So, and, and this is my commands of War College War Master version of, of where we're at in, in our uh, history as humans. Yeah. So you have f four generations of warfare that we've experienced. The first one was mass and maneuver. Okay, I get all my friends, we get some swords, we run at each other, right? Yeah. Um, is I think is Guru Dan coming is, back? Is in? Guru is going to be starting. We might have to pick up this. Yeah, after. Yeah, we, we'll just keep the. We'll be able to keep the train of thought there if that's all right. Yeah, I'd love to come back. Perfect. Here. We'll get that sorted. We are back in the room. So we we had to nip out there, which we will get. You know the way the way this is, is so freewheeling. We'll be able to do it. We just we're hanging out with Guru Dan in Osanto and I looked over at you a few times and for a guy who's been around the world and seen a lot of stuff I still saw that look on your face a few times where you were in awe yeah he's unbelievable huh it's uh, you can't put it into words uh, other than the source yeah definitely Ernest Hemingway said it was very important to have heroes and as you get older it was even more important and if you're going to have a hero have a good one yeah. you know have the best you can get so we're going to go back and we're just going to get into what we talked about earlier. You, you mentioned four generations of warfare, right? Right. Yeah, and uh, if you don't mind, just because I'm really nosy and like I really love this sort of stuff, can you just explain what the four generations are quickly? So the first generation you had mass. So, you know, literally it was you get together with your clansmen or your tribe, uh, you get some swords and shields, you make a big line and the other people have a big line and you go after each other. Right. And then with the advancements of chariots and, and tanks and things like that, you had you had mass and maneuver. Yes. So now I, we can come in mass, but we can flank you. We can set up an ambush, do things like that. Basically, that's the first two generations. Yeah. In the third generation, you had air superiority. Yeah. So it doesn't matter where the front line is. It doesn't matter how deep your bunker is. If I've got air superiority, I can find you and, and bomb you. Yes. So now we've... We've moved, and that was kind of Desert Shield, Desert Storm, a lot of OEIF and, and those kind of, um, you know, Afghanistan and Iraq-type situations. Mostly Iraq was that way. With fourth-generation warfare, there's no distinct lines. Uh, there's no front line. There's no rear line. Um, it's just as important that I know how to handle my weapon uh, standing right next to you and on top of you as it is um, in a wide open space because literally we're going to be going into combat in a town where eight of the houses are friendly, two are not, we don't know which two, and the bad guys can come from anywhere and they don't wear uniforms. Yeah, you, you see, this is this is crazy because it's almost like a full circle, it's, like it's like a full circle, but then to the nth degree. So where it was, you know, you see the whites of each other's eyes. Right. Then you could see the whites of each other's eyes, but you could disengage. Then you were going from the ground, you know, you had air superiority, and now, but you're coming back, but the lines have totally and utterly been, they're, they're not defined, they've been blurred to the point that there is no line anymore, right? Correct, and, and so that's my concern right now when you talk about the global situation, um, is that, you know, an act of terrorism, or the, what we're seeing with these acts of terrorism, it's it's the act of an angry toddler throwing a temper tantrum. Yes, and what 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 do what do we do what do we do about this? You know, right. I mean that's the question, and and uh, 
you know, my answer is, you know, I'll talk to anybody. Right. You know, if you got a better way of doing things or a way that's more equitable or fair, um, I'll talk to you. Yeah. I'll, I'll listen to you. You know, and I'm not guaranteeing I'm going to vote for for your viewpoint, but I, I would much rather that our statesmen, our politicians, and our diplomats were engaging in conversation with you. Yes. Than that they're sending me over to take you out. Well, but it's funny you said that because Rick Fay, uh, we had a conversation once, and I, you know, there's certain aspects, there's certain aspects of uh, Rick's political views that I don't agree with. But uh, I, think, I can't remember which one it was. One of the founding fathers who said, "Just because we have a different opinion, should never be never be grounds for us not to have a friendship." Right. Yeah, and which I think is great. And you know, I, I found this in the Carly group. I yeah, I love the Carly group because we walk in, we have got somebody like you. We yeah, we got on really well already. I didn't know as many of your exploits as you, as you as you've told me, and uh, so you've got you, and then you've got yeah, we've got one one guy who's training with us now, and yeah. It's in a wheelchair and it's going through like it's transgender going through going going, mm-hmm. going through going through that that process and you're like wait a minute people like this from different ends of the spectrum shouldn't be getting together you know in the same room working out looking for the which is i personally think is cool right yeah it just shows that the world's just getting we're just getting better um one of the things that rick said that these guys need to they need to start we need to open up a dialogue because the minute we opened up a dialogue, because he was on about the IRA, he was joking. Cause, you know, I'm from Ireland, but he says, it's like your guys. And I was like, the IRA are not my guys, I'll tell you that. But he says, it's like your guys. He goes, what they did was, they weren't bombing civilians. They started targeting financial institutions. And they were like, right, okay, we'll talk to you now. Yeah, we'll talk to you now. And then it's like, as you were saying, we don't know who we're fighting against. So well, how, how, you know, what do we do? Who do we talk to? Right, and, and a lot of them have already demonstrated you know that they're not willing to be reasoned with yeah yeah and and so there's only really one you know way that you can deal with them because uh you know if, if you and i are, are at odds and and you say to me i'm going to kill you and your entire family and there's absolutely nothing that's going to stop that no um then i have to do what i have to do so nowadays are you still in that field at all or what do, what what so I am now in, in the corporate side, the corporate intelligence and investigations with right. uh, Thomson Reuters. Yeah. Um, so uh, I work with a product called Clear, um, which is a investigation and an analytical tool. Right. Um, so. And what does what what would that be for? Like for business or? It can be used for virtually anything that you need to investigate a person or a corporation. Uh, so, for example, public some of the publicly known uses of it. Um, where the San Bernardino, San Bernardino uh, terrorist attack, they used clear to find the location where the terrorists were right. so that the SWAT team could get there. Um, and they had less than two minutes to get it done, and they got it done. Wow, that is crazy. That's like needle in the haystack stuff. Yes. Yep. So, so that's you're at the cutting edge of that. You know, when you're saying this, this is like stuff out of a movie, man. You know, when you're saying it, do you, do you ever look back at your life and just go, yeah, okay, I knew I was bit, I was. I was born into a family that, and I knew I'd be in the military, but did you ever think it was going to take you? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I did. I mean, I, I realized early on in my studies, and so we're talking about starting from the age of four. Right. So um, I knew the 97-3 rule. So 97% of, of your life is the simulacrum and the simulation. It's the, I wake up, I eat, I go to the gym, I 
nothing happens. Yeah. 3% is sheer terror and chaos. Wow. And I, I knew that with the choices that I was making in the road I was going down, I would be in the reverse situation. I would be living in that 3%. So the vast majority of my life would be at a tier one level. And, and uh, I would be dealing daily with the kind of uh, high intensity situations that most people might experience once or twice in their life. Wow. That's crazy. It's like, yeah, the only guy that I've ever spoke to on the same sort of thing is like Tim Hanks. Who yes, absolutely. Well. Yep. Um, yeah, Tim, we, we were talking about, you know, I know what it's like to be, you know, in distress and, you know, stuff like that. But when it's, you know, he was telling me about physically, you know, the beats per minute and, mm-hmm. you, you know, it was, he said, your, your body is going through just, it's like, you have to operate under, ba- under situations that most people would like collapse just because, you know, you are under that much stress. So how do you train for that? The martial arts training helps. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the most powerful tool is the psychological. Right. So things like seer training, uh, things like that, as brutal as, as it is, uh, and as much as you don't appreciate it while you're in it, when you, when you realize that the, the mind is the most powerful tool that you have and it can make heaven out of hell or hell out of heaven, um, you, you know, then you can deal with it. it. It helps to have a support group or a therapist that you can talk to, yeah. to be honest with you. Um, I love Tim. Uh, I'd go anywhere with Tim side by side. And, and uh, um, you know, it's... <laughs> I don't know. You know, there's there's certainly uh, a very excellent relationship with my bartender. Right. <laughs> I like your style. I like your honesty there. This is, uh, you know, just for a second, though, you know, this Mission 22 thing that's going on at yep. the moment, right, which when it hits you, those sort of numbers, you know, and me personally, I never got, I never, I reposted it a few times and I speak to Gina Franson because Gina's doing a hell of a lot of work to do it as well. But um, it, it's a huge thing, first of all. And secondly, 22 men a day, mm-hmm. that's huge numbers. And is, do you think this is just the aftercare of once you're in these situations? Or I think that, that um, there's a feeling that you get in combat that you're never going to get again. Right. And there's a closeness with your brothers and sisters in arms that you're never going to get that feeling again ever and um you never I, I in my opinion a lot of a lot of the the suicides are taking place because they can't find that feeling anymore yeah so there, there's an old saying there's, there's no atheist in a foxhole right and yeah. I, I don't i don't know that i agree with that but i agree that um when you're people who are convinced that there's a solid oppor- uh, chance or opportunity that they might die like you're going into combat or when I was doing running bodyguarding details, um, they become extremely uh, interested in getting along very well with you. I've often thought about my training, you know, with the Carly group, just working out. And yeah, it, it's it's the complete other end of the spectrum, uh, you know, like intensity wise. But what it is, it's it's like we've worked hard together. We've done our thing. And we, we, uh, we've shared something. We, uh, we've put the hard work in. And a lot of people don't really have to work that hard. You know, I work in a manual job. But once you do it and you've shared that labor and, you, you, know, you, you know, so you shared the success, you shared the failures, 
and then you come out of it and then it's yeah my wife can never work out why i've got friends that i only see once a week uh, one week a year and i i said to her you, you have no idea you know you go there and these people have opened up and yeah you know, and we've you know jesus you know me and ty campos have gone at each other numerous times when we've been sparring but yeah i love that guy like a brother right and it, it is it's very interesting you said that because the term in the uk is you know the return to civvy street mm-hmm. once you go back to civvy street and it's like you expect me to be like this, and now that I'm back, you don't want me to be that guy anymore. But do you know what? As soon as the shit hits the fan, you want, yeah. Everyone loves right. lions until it's time for lions to do lion shit. And, uh, you know, and that's the thing. I, do, you, do you see how, how this can be? Yeah, it's not a problem that can be fixed. It's a problem that needs to be addressed, I think, more than anything. It, it does, and, and uh, you know, we have to remove completely any kind of any kind of machoism or, or uh, stigma from those people who are in that situation uh, reaching out for help. Yeah. They cannot be ever told to feel like that if they, they need to talk to someone because of how they're feeling on the inside, that that's not something that's real. Well, you, you know, you've just hit here on the head. It's one of the things that I've often thought about with, you know, the, the treatment of a lot of the guys when they came back from the Vietnam War was just brutal. Right. Yep. It, you know, but this has been going on forever. That you know, the actor Patrick Stewart. I don't, you know, he's mm-hmm. from Star Trek, but he did work for years and years and years for like women's refuges because his father used to, you know, beat on his mother. But then he found out that his father had post-traumatic stress from the Second World War. So now what he does is he does a lot of work for PTSD veterans. And it was like he said, he goes, I only saw the aftermath. I didn't realise why this these the, the, these. Uh, yeah, everything was set in motion. It was crazy. So what's the future hold for you? Uh, you know, the future has just begun for me. Uh, so the this is the first time in my life I've had a chance to um, ha- be normal, quote unquote. <laughs> you know, settle down, maybe, you know, think about, you know, what, what do I want to do with the last half of my career? And, and um, uh, I, I honestly very comfortably can tell you I, I have no plans other than um, recognize the opportunities where I can be of service when I see them. Yes. Um, like uh, Guru Rick teaches us daily. Martial arts isn't just about making a great martial arts, it's about making a great citizen as well. Yeah. So I, I want to be involved in, in my community. I want to do, uh, you know, help people who are in need um, at a grassroots level. And um, Friday nights, always steak and martini night at my house. Yeah. And you're always welcome. <laughs> oh, thank you, mate, so much. Uh, Tony, I'll just tell you, yeah, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, I, I, yeah, I've been really, really lucky, you know, because, you, you know, I come over now and every year I come over and if it, I'm not staying at Ryan's house or Mike Duffy's house or John's house, it's always somebody. And, you know, they bring you into their house, bring you into their family, look after you. And it's just thank you for being part of it give them the friendship secondly for your service because as i said we couldn't really go into that much detail but the guys who have listened know and you know i know you that you're at the sharp end of the spear because me and rick have talked about this and he mentioned it and it's like yeah it, it is it is what's that quote that they say uh you only sleep so, safely in bed at night because a violent men willing to do violence on your part yes exactly and it, 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 you know we're now in we are now in at the craziest moment ever where you've got this knee-jerk reaction where instead of time for measured individuals and like you were saying we need to open up dialogue 
we're now kicking back like babies and going, no, no, we'll just deal with this problem now. And it, it can't. I want the world to be like a Pepsi, Pepsi Cola advert. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah, I'd like to teach the world to sing, but some of these guys don't like music, you know? Absolutely. I mean, having been there and lived there and, and, and moved among, uh, you know, tribal populations affected by this, uh, this, is, this is not a couple of generations old. This is thousands of years of hatred. Hate doesn't, doesn't go away and it's never going to go away. Well, do you know what? Thank you so much for your time. Dude, um, I'm telling you, man, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Anytime. Thanks for listening today. We have a brand new show every Friday. You can listen to all our interviews on MixedMartialArts.com. Mixed Martial Arts is a paint your headphones production. Wow.